0: You know, we're doing a series called Glory Days, and um, it's Philip, hey, wait, Philip, because don't everybody knows Philip. We were just talking, we go way back, and um, it's not really, I, I don't know if this is a series as much as I think it's a season for our church, you know, um, Glory Days, I think it's just a word to our church, like God's bringing His glory, right, and we just, he gets gory when we give our stories, share our testimonies. Um, last week, Natasha shared her testimony. It was awesome. And um, today, Amy Phibbs is going to be sharing her testimony. And I've had a couple of you come up to me, you know, on Sundays. And again, full disclosure, talk to me on Sundays, and I'll forget it Monday. There's a lot going on Sundays. But I've had a couple of you come up and say, man, I would love to kind of tell my story. Well, send me a text, right, or talk to me on a Monday, not on a Sunday. And we'd love for that to happen. We'd love to make this happen, um, extend it a couple of weeks, whatever we need to do. So we're not in a rush at all. I never, ever want to stop people from sharing their testimonies and what God has done. Because how many of you were encouraged last week? Just by a show of hands. Yeah, me too. And how many of you will be encouraged today? Because that's what happens. Every time somebody shares their story, we should all be leaning in going, Okay, God, what, what is it in this that's going to encourage me where I am? And all I, all I can tell you about Amy is, I think it's is not an understatement, you have been on a journey. <laughs> and it has been hard and long and windy and curvy and I don't, all the things. And she has clung to Jesus through all of it. And that's the story that we're going to hear today. So can we just pray for her right now? Um, let's be super Pentecostal. Why don't you just stretch, stretch your hand towards her? That will be fun. Thanks, God, for Amy. Um, What's getting ready to take place, God? She didn't come up with this last night. This has been, like we said, it's been a journey. And you have shown her truth in your word. And and I'm so excited to sit on the front row and just listen to the weight of her words because they're yours. These are your words that you have made come alive in her life. And so we're not going to listen, you know, just like kind of give some afterthought to what she's saying. and We're leaning in because there's gold in what's going to be said. It's from you. So anoint her God. In your name Jesus. Amen.
1: All right. Um, so y'all, I've got a lot of Bible verses and poor old Russ, I didn't even send them all to him, but he's got a pile anyway. So if you'd like a list later of what I spill out today, then just let me know. Um, At the beginning of November, I really sensed the Holy Spirit was leading me to tell Pastor Bridget and Pastor Paul that I thought it might be time to share my testimony. And while I tried to get away from that, um, since then he has consistently confirmed, most recently through the word Paul received in January, proclaim. So I'm very thankful for their willingness to allow me to proclaim today. So let's pray. And Lord, I thank you that you are gracious and compassionate, that you are slow to anger and you are great and faithful love. And Jesus, I thank you that you have made a way for freedom and restoration. And so that's what I pray for today. Holy Spirit, that you would make me a vessel of your message of freedom and restoration and shalom, wholeness, completeness, and peace in you. And I ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So those of you who know me know I'm, I'm not a talker. That's the other fibs. Um, and I like to keep my business my business. But 2 Corinthians 1.4 says that he comforts us in all of our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Psalm 145.4 says, one generation will declare your works to the next and will proclaim your mighty acts. And as Pastor Paul exhorted a month or so ago, while first and foremost about Christ, Isaiah 61 is about us as his redeemed. I have been sent to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners. Because hear me, I was a captive. I was a prisoner. I had a good life. I was raised in a good home saved in the sixth grade, married my high school sweetheart, and had two precious good boys. I was a happy, healthy, middle-aged woman who was loving the Lord, loving the word, serving him, my family, and my community. And I was entering what I thought would be kind of a harvest of joy time for our family. We were getting ready to celebrate milestones like our oldest son, Ben's high school graduation, and our youngest son, Sam, was turning 16. Now, my life had not been without struggle. I had experienced the loss of loved ones, both expected and unexpected. We had had financial and job loss, had a brother who served in war and a major surgery for my son. So I had experienced a lot, but in all of those things, I had never known depression or anxiety or hopelessness. Even in hard times, I knew God was sovereign and found him to be faithful and good and kind. I knew I had an enemy, but I was naive. And looking back, I realized that I thought, well, yeah, Satan's real and he's bad. But if I'm not seeking him and participating and opening doors to him, then I'm okay. No, the devil hates us because we are made in the image of God. And he comes to steal and kill and destroy Our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And while I learned this the hard way, I also learned that we are not to fear him and probably spend too much time talking about him. He is defeated, and in Christ we are victorious. So without going into the details of the who and the what, I received a phone call on July 26, 2017, that triggered a spiraling, terrifying, heartbreaking, just crazy period of almost two years of my life. From this side of it, as I've reflected over the past few months, and Jason and I have talked about it, it's hard to see how it all even happened. I mean, it was just weird. (laughs) From a perceived failure of my past, fear took over and opened a door to an accusation from the enemy, and it was unlike anything I had ever experienced. I believed it was an attack from the enemy, so I fought the only way I knew. Constant, and I do mean constant, Bible verses, praying, podcasts, praise and worship. Now none of these things are wrong in themselves, but I was trying to make the actions my rescue. And psychologically, my response was only making it worse. I could logically deny the accusations, as clearly as I could say the sky is not green, but I could not make the cycle stop. Trying not to think about something only makes you think about something. And so I feared the next thought, which would then make the next thought. And quickly, the mental affected the physical, making it all the worse because the automatic physical response that God designed for our bodies of fight or flight just reinforced the fear. Physically, I was wasting away. I lost over 20 pounds in weeks, and I suffered severe insomnia. You know, sleep deprivation is a torture tactic, and I know why. It's terrible. And when I did sleep, the moment my eyes popped open in the morning, the cycle of thoughts would start right up, and the anxiety would rush in, and I'd be running to the bathroom to dry heave. Sorry, that's what happened. Um, I experienced panic attacks, where Jason would find me in the fetal position in the closet. My mother would have to accompany super um, previously super independent me on errands around town in case I had a panic attack. Once I stayed at my parents' house to try to sleep and my daddy just held me and consoled me like I was a child while I shook with fear. I had a hard time being in my house and I'm a homebody, like I love my house and I couldn't be in it. I would go and just walk for miles and miles or I would just sit outside. And while all of this was going on, I was doing my best to hold it together for my boys. I reluctantly tried medicines, which just made it all worse, creating an anxiety and depression loop of ever-increasing doses. Thankfully, the Lord revealed that pretty quickly and I stopped those. So, whether from the insomnia or the meds or just the spiraling thoughts and hopelessness, I did become suicidal. And that's nothing I would have ever imagined that I could have been. And then those suicidal thoughts played on a loop as well. And this whole time, what made it so awful was I felt so far from God. The accusations turned to my position as a believer, and I began to doubt my salvation had I ever been saved? If so, had I lost my salvation? If I prayed again for salvation, was I not doubting the salvation I already thought I had? And this was terrifying, and I was tormented, and I was disappointed, and I was angry with God. With each day, and then week, and then month, I would think, and I would say, I mean, what are you doing? why are you letting this happen why won't you help me i'm doing all these right things and i'm not getting better and i started to doubt his goodness and on top of all the fear and the disappointment the anger and the doubt i was drowning in shame and condemnation i could hardly look at myself in the mirror not just because of how awful i looked and it, it was bad fear does something to your face um, I was just ashamed, shame from the accusations, shame from the doubt, shame from my failure to get up, shame that I was no longer who I knew myself to be as a mother, as a wife, as a daughter, a sister, and a friend. I sought help from all sorts of Christians, friends, pastors, doctors, counselors, a retreat center. Desperate to get out of the pit, we considered and acted on interpretations of the Bible that we knew were not correct. I thought if I had the right person pray for me at the right time, after the right worship, then I could be free. And so I would go from service to service, experience to experience, seeking healing. Again, trying to make the acts, the experiences, the people my way to rescue. I over-spiritualized everything. I was going through my house, throwing out clothes, throwing out books. Anything that I thought was an open door to this attack. Practical Jason in the meantime is scouring the internet. He's the Googler too, the talker and the Googler, um, for any kind of help that he could find. And which bless him, it just made it worse because then whatever that mess was would just get in the loop in my head and it was bad. I had medical tests after medical tests run hoping there was a wacky physical explanation for it all. I mean, you know it's bad when you're praying for the brain tumor. And goodness, the amount of money that we spent. I was like the woman with the issue of blood in Mark 5. The lowest point came in January 2018 at a reputable Christian Counseling Center in Charlotte where I was spiritually and emotionally traumatized by a counselor. Sitting in my car in the parking lot, the Holy Spirit gave me a moment of clarity. I had gone too far down this spiritual warfare road, where in the word was even half the mess that I had heard from him and other people. In mid-March, I googled OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, and thought what I was experiencing pretty much lined up with those symptoms. And again, the Holy Spirit brought to my remembrance one of my former students' dads, who was a psychologist and specialized in PTSD. I cannot tell you the relief at my first appointment after I had related all the craziness that had happened when that kind, wise man looked me in the eye and said, you are not crazy, you are just in a cycle driven by fear. He did not diagnose me as OCD, he just explained that I had wrongly given meaning to the thoughts when I should have just let them go. Everything I did to get out just dug the hole even deeper, creating a hypervigilance in my mind. And over many months, he taught me how to do the hard work of breaking the cycle of fear by not being led by my feelings but rather knowing what is true And acting in that truth and I slowly retrained my mind and my body regulating the overactive fight-or-flight response and I learned to rest in the finished work of Christ and through this practical work the power of the truth and the spirit the Lord redeemed my life from the pit at the beginning of January pastor Paul shared a word he had received about what we had Heard about we would now know so from this trial I just want to share with you what I know I know that trials and sufferings will come and any theology that tells you otherwise is a lie in John sixteen thirty three, Jesus said you will have suffering in this world and remember last week when pastor Paul mentioned stuff about gold well in first Peter 1 6 through 7 From my covenant-keeping husband, I mean, you wanna talk about through better or worse, Jason Phibbs stayed right there by me, speaking truth to me over and over and over again, loving me at my absolute worst. So from Jay, to my parents and family, to faithful friends, church leadership, and fellow members, to godly and wise doctors, I was upheld in prayer and encouraged by words and actions and helped. So whether from pride or shame, don't make the mistake of withdrawing and isolating. That's just where the enemy wants you, alone. I know that even with the wonderful support of community, some battles just come down to you and Jesus. No matter how much he tried, Jason couldn't save me. As much as my mama and daddy tried, they couldn't save me. And I could go on and on, but Jesus can, did, and continues to save me, like Hebrews 7.25 says, to the uttermost. I know that we do fight a spiritual war, but the battle really is simple. Notice I said simple, not easy. The battle is here in our minds. Satan's first question to Eve in the garden in Genesis 3 did God really say is followed by a lie a twisting of the truth of what God had said and from then on the battle has been are you going to believe his word his truth about himself about yourself about others about the situation you're in or are you going to believe the lie the enemy is a liar and deception is his weapon Jesus said very clearly in John 8, The devil is a liar and the father of lies. Not only is he a liar, but the Strong's definition for the Greek word diabolos, devil, or Satan, is false accuser, slanderer. So not only does he tell us lies, he lies about us, to us. Not every thought you have is yours. The evil one is slinging flaming arrows at us all the time. You're no more responsible for that initial thought of temptation or doubt from the enemy than you're responsible if you went out on the sidewalk and there was somebody cussing on the sidewalk and you walked by. You're not responsible for what they said. You just walk on by and let it go. But just like with Eve in Genesis 3, those lies can lead to doubt. Doubt about who God is, of his character, of his goodness and abundance towards us. And this is where the enemy wants us. Unfortunately, the focus on spiritual warfare can become a tool of the enemy. When focused on what starts as the cosmic reality of having an enemy, can grow and strengthen until we've falsely made him quite large. I sure did we spend a lot of time in Christian circles talking about spiritual warfare and the enemy we talk to the devil we sing about him we pray special warfare prayers we say or post slogans about him and I did a lot of this because I thought it would work and it didn't because if we're doing this then it's him we're focused on it's him we're talking to it's him we're giving power to, and he's not worth it. Like Bob Goff says, why does spellcheck make me capitalize Satan's name? It's giving him too much credit. We give him too much credit. We spend our time looking for the booger behind every bush and not the blessings from above. Rather, we should do what Paul says in Colossians 3, 1 through 2. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above and not on earthly things. Once we understand the reality of the battle, of the choice before us, then all we have to do is choose what is true and reject what is false. This is the standing firm in Ephesians 6 the taking every thought captive in 2 Corinthians 10, and the resisting the devil in James 4 and 1 Peter 5. In John eight thirty two, Jesus says, "'You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free.'" The Greek word for know, gnosko, means to learn, to know, to come to know, perceive, feel, and is a Jewish idiom for marital relations. You see, the truth is true whether you believe it or not, but freedom comes in the knowing it. The Lord has provided and graciously extends it to us, but I had to appropriate it for myself, even if the best I could do was, I believe, help my unbelief. And because he is kind and because he is good and he does what is good, then he meets you right there and he ministers to you right there. So ma- no matter what I felt then, this is what I came to know because this is what his word says is true. As believers, of chil- as children of God, I know that he will never leave me or forsake me. I know that nothing can separate me from his love. Nothing can snatch me from his hand or his father's hand. I am sealed by the Holy Spirit. God is light, and there is absolutely no darkness in him. And this I know, God is for me. Even when I couldn't see it, certainly when I couldn't feel it, God graciously both miraculously and mundanely showed up over and over, proving himself so faithful to uphold me. I know that fear is rooted in a lie about what you believe about yourself, others, but ultimately what you believe about God. Yet often with the distorted focus on spiritual warfare, it empowers fear as a being. People take Second Timothy one seven, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. And they determine if you're afraid, it's because you've been given a spirit of fear from the enemy. So desperate people like me follow the model of many and try to cast off this spirit. They come to the altar week after week to pray for deliverance, only to then experience fear again. And this only increases fear and powerlessness because they think the spirit of fear is back. Yet this is not what we see in scripture. For example, in Joshua 1-9, the angel of the Lord exhorts Joshua, "'Haven't I commanded you? "'Be strong and courageous, Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Jesus, who clearly didn't mind commanding spirits, speaks similarly to his disciples in the Gospels. Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. In these real situations, the person who was afraid was not instructed to pray or have someone else pray for them to get rid of this spirit of fear. They were simply told not to be afraid, which implies the ability to do so. God would not command what we cannot do. And more importantly, they were reminded of the truth as to why they should not fear, for the Lord your God is with you. I know that just like Joseph said to his brothers, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. On this side of eternity, I'll probably never know the good that God has and will bring from this terrible time, as he promises in Romans 8. One thing I know, this past year, I was walking through a similar situation with someone very dear to me, and I was able to share with them all that I had learned. Had I not been through this, I would not have had any idea how to help them. And as awful as it was, That good made it worth it. I know that the sovereignty of God and the free will of man is a mystery. I I don't know how all that works out. (laughs) I know that Psalm 138.8 says, The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Yet I believe that there is calling and purpose on the other side of your trial, that if you quit, you won't fulfill, and people, you won't reach. In early June of 2017, Jason and I had just started talking again about our many years' dream of starting a school. I had dusted off our materials, I had made a few calls, and if I had given into the fear and despair and taken my life or continue to believe the lies and live in defeat, or even later when the healing began, believe I was somehow disqualified because of this trial, then we would not have founded Heritage in 2019. And there are some moments at school when I could just weep at his faithfulness and his kindness to have restored, confirmed, strengthened, and established me for our ministry of the school. And don't even get me started on being restored to my family. While I was in the pit, I begged the Lord to heal me and restore to me the years that the locusts have eaten, especially with my family. And he did. At what I believe was New Year's Eve 2019, the boys and the other young adults had gotten the youth band back together. And they had led one of the Sunday night worship services. And as I stood next to Jason and my section in the back, watching Ben play guitar and lead and Sam play on the drums, my heart was filled with hope and thanksgiving. I kept saying thank you for sustaining me and restoring me so I could be here with my people. And there have been moments, both big and small, when I have rejoiced in his faithfulness to hold me And to hold us together there are people for you to reach and purposes for you to fulfill don't quit don't give up like Christine Kane says we need to stop making what people did to us bigger than what Jesus did for us even if we're the ones that did it to ourselves Jesus is bigger I know this whole thing, the overarching lie was, I was enslaved and in darkness. But the truth is, who the sun sets free is free indeed. It is not for freedom, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. At salvation, I had been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved Son. And he brought me out to a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. I was already free. I just had to take off the blindfold and walk out of that prison with no bars. My deliverance was not easy and it was not instant. I think a lot of times this is what the church is seeking, a moment of power, an outpouring of glory, a miracle. And listen, I mean, seek it yay I mean that's great I'd have been all about it if it had happened but y'all it is powerful and glorious and miraculous that because of Jesus's life death and resurrection through his spirit and through his word we are empowered and equipped to be transformed by the renewing of our mind the word for transformed that we see in the verse for our glory day series from 2 Corinthians 13:8 or 3:18 is only used once more in the New Testament except in reference to Christ's transfiguration. And it's found in Romans 12:2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Transformed in the Greek is metamorpho, to change, transfigure, transform. It is the root of metamorphosis. Just think of the miracle of the butterfly. Our first kindergarten class experienced this wonder close-up through Miss Carolyn's caterpillars that she shared with us. Did you know that a caterpillar eats and eats so much that it sheds its skin numerous times in preparation of entering the chrysalis and emerging as a totally new creation, a butterfly? Like the caterpillar, we need to eat and eat the word and put off our old self, to be made new in the attitude of our minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And just Googling a little bit this past week, I learned something else totally wild. Did you know that once the caterpillar enters the chrysalis, it digests its own body from the inside out, except for these little things called imaginal disc cells designed to form what the caterpillar had always intended to be, a butterfly. The caterpillar's body had to die so that it could be transformed into its purpose. Does that sound familiar? Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. It may seem dark, and surely it hurts. But oh friend, in and through the struggle, he is transforming us. From old to new, from glory to glory, we are being conformed to the image of Christ. So yes, the enemy, the liar, he's after each of us to steal and kill and destroy. But let's not put the focus there. Praise God for the rest of that verse. Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. He has made the way. It is finished. It is finished. Just as Moses set the choice before the people of Israel in Deuteronomy 30, we have choice before us each day, each moment really. O oh Father, by the power of your word and your spirit, help us to choose what is true, to choose what is life, to choose what is blessing, and to walk in it. Thank you.